Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but also to teach and educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You combine a good, not too hot, not too cold, Narn Farm payroll number from the Labor Department that had little wage inflation, throw in some blockbuster earnings, and voila, you get the kind of benign action that gives you multiple opportunities to make money. Dow inching up 23 points, S&P gaining 0.31%, NASDAQ falling 0.74%. Thank you, Apple. <laughs> yes, this was the biggest opportunity, Apple, with a stock that soared up $4.39 after an amazing quarter. Do you know that this thing now is an astronomical $891 billion market cap? And you know, I say own it, don't trade it. Could we get to a trillion dollars? The company does well. But there are plenty of others, including the massive semiconductor pin action that comes from the iPhone having such great numbers. As well as some possible takeovers in the technology sector. At the same time, healthcare stabilizing, even the darn big oil seemed ready to plow higher. Oil is going through $55. Something that came as a surprise because our oil companies tend to flood the market with new supply in the low 50s. But they can't overwhelm the demand this time. Will the benign backdrop continue next week? Well, I don't know, because you see, if there's one day where it's going to take a breather, it's going to be Monday. First, Qualcomm was up huge today, the semiconductor company, on expectations that it might catch a takeover bid from Uber Kramer fave Broadcom, symbol AVGO. It's the old Avago, and it might happen this very weekend. It seems like this quarrelsome semiconductor company, look, it's always locked in litigation over royalties, might finally catch a break. Deal makes sense. Broadcom's a tremendous acquirer and does a fantastic job of integrating new purchases, even though I don't think that Qualcomm wants to sell at all. But it's why Broadcom stock jumped more than 11 bucks on the news that it might be buying Qualcomm. Isn't that odd? Well, let's just say if this deal does happen, it would give the Red Hot Semiconductor Rally yet another leg. And, it, 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 and if it doesn't, well, the whole smoking cohort could turn cold. Like I said, I'm worried about Monday. I'm worried that the earnings we're getting next week could be ice cold, too. Well, let's start off with CVS. That has become the poster child for what happens when Amazon even thinks about coming after you. The stock's already been pounded. Amazon's still a long way from actually selling prescription drugs. I know CVS wants to acquire an HMO, preferably Aetna, to become more of a total health care company and less of a bricks-and-mortar drugstore to be picked on and prayed by, by Amazon. Maybe they announce a deal on Monday simultaneously with their earnings. That makes sense. We also hear from Michael Kors, apparel, uh, let's call it accessories. And while the last quarter was good, remember, it is an apparel company and therefore, frankly, cannot be trusted. No. 
Then after the close Monday, we get results from a company I've liked for a long time, Priceline. But if you think back to competitor Expedia's quarter, which was nasty, you might get heartburn when you see this one, or at least imagine it. These companies actually want to win, and that means they play for keeps. And when you do that and you go head-to-head, it always hurts your profit margins. The two saving graces Monday, there'll be Skywork Solutions and International Flavors and Fragrances. Both companies should be familiar to you because you've had their CEOs on. I think both could do very well. Skyworks because it's a huge Apple supplier, which means it's got tons of orders, as we heard from Tim Cook last night. And IFF because it's basically an arms dealer to the food, cleaning, and perfume industries. All of these, fla- these uh, flailing consumer products companies, they need IFF to stay competitive. Tuesday, we hear from Emerson Electric. I bet this storied industrial gives us a very strong quarter. However, it could be overshadowed by the possibility that Emerson raises a tentative bid for Rockwell Automation, which reports the very next day. David Faber broke this story. I was amazed that this company wants to acquire that one. This Milwaukee-based company has a lot of heritage. We also get results from Valiant. Remember, we have Joe Papa on, right, on Tuesday morning. And look, it's a troubled pharmaceutical company, but he's been busy fixing up its balance sheet. So we got to ask, does it have any growth? Let's find out. After the close, we have two consistent growth companies, Marriott International and Take-Two Interactive. Marriott's hotel business benefits from a scarcity of lodging properties worldwide. Take-Two owns the most popular franchise in gaming, Grand Theft Auto, along with a bunch of other beloved titles. Now, both Electronic Arts and Activision Blizzard saw their stocks get unfairly hammered after they reported good quarters in the last couple days. Take-Two's been totally red hot. So maybe we wait and see what the numbers look like before we pull the trigger. Who knows? Maybe get a buying opportunity after the way that they just obliterated EA and were so tough on Activision Blizzard. Now, Wednesday, we hear from a company that I get a lot of questions about. CenturyLink, the landline telco company. Specifically, I get asked about whether CenturyLink's 13% dividend is safe. Oh, man, that's a bit of a red flag. I can't speak to the state of the business as they just merged with uh, Level 3 Communications, a company I like. But the truth is, I'm always worried about any company with a 10% plus yield. That's usually a sign that there's a dividend cut coming. I'm calling that one problematic. Now, look at this. I'm speaking of problematic. Snap reports on Tuesday. Now, the wrap on Snap after last quarter's disappointment is that it's a little like Twitter, a company that may not be in charge of its own destiny and definitely isn't ready for prime time. Well, guess what? Twitter was ready when it reported this week and the stock shot up. I bet Snap will give it the old college try. I mean, didn't these guys just get out of college? And the street will rally around it. But all in all, I think you should just forget Snap and use the let's say, juicy decline in the stock of Facebook. It sold off after an amazing quarter because it got hit with the ugly stick of higher expenses related to evicting the bad guys from its sites. Thursday, we hear from two retailers with not-so-hot stocks, Kohl's and Macy's. I shop at them all the time. What can I say? Kohl's is stuck in no man's land, having moved from a low of 35 to 42, but that's still a long way off of its 52-week high of $59, a little bit bit, uh, less than a year ago. Macy's, wow, what can I say? This story retailer saw its stock hit a 52-week low just today, and its dividend now clocks in at 8%. While that's a lot less suspect than CenturyLink's dividend, there are tons of investors who are fleeing the stock because they don't believe this payout can be maintained. I don't know. We have to hear what CEO Jeff Gannett says, but I, I, I can't see why you'd have to cut it, barring a huge shortfall, though. 
After the close, another retailer that I love to shop at reports Nordstrom. And I can't wait to hear what this department store says, because not that long ago, it wanted to do a leveraged buyout, but then it gave up because of financing issues. No kidding. I mean, it is bricks and mortar after all. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the stock might be overvalued. Now, we also hear from two companies that are near and dear to many on, uh, on, on Thursday night. And I got to tell you, you'll, I, I know you'll go for them. Disney and NVIDIA. I expect little from Disney, frankly, it's not already known. Subscriber losses, cord cutters will overwhelm all the amazing positives from the movie business and theme parks and advertising. We're going to have to hear about ESPN this and ESPN that, but we'll also hear about BamTech. That's the bright side. At least uh, the consensus is that the stock will do nothing. And even if it's wrong, I bet that view will dominate the action in the stock. My advice, I like to own Disney long term. I'm not pushing the stock short term. Speaking of that, NVIDIA. This stock has almost doubled for the year, which means my Chapel Trust owns it. You can follow along at ActionWorksPlus.com Club. But it means that this, this company, up almost 100%, it really has to deliver some incredibly blowout numbers to maintain this trajectory. Now, considering the strong demand for its autonomous driving chips, for its graphics processors like the one used in Nintendo Switch, not to mention its data center offerings, artificial intelligence chips, I think there is a lot to like with NVIDIA. But the stock does have a habit of trading down after reports. So I want you to wait until we hear the conference call before you do any buying with NVIDIA. If you haven't bought it yet, I wouldn't. Two more things. The stock's so amazing that, yes, I did rename my mutt Everest NVIDIA. And he answers now to NVIDIA, provided I have about five pounds worth of treats in my hands. And on a more serious note, we downgraded this stock from one to two for ActionLarchPlus.com club members. Meaning from a buy right here to a buy into weakness, simply because it had run so much. The stock's gotten too hot, even for this huge NVIDIA supporter. Not that long ago, JCPenney pre-announced a hideous quarter that revealed nothing's really coming together for the Jaguar retailer. Now they did, so we already know that things aren't good. Um, I, I don't think there's anything positive they can say this Friday that's going to change anybody's mind that the stock isn't headed on the way down. Maybe they talk about Sephora. All right, so here's the bottom line. The flood of earnings continues next week, and that means it will be almost impossible for you to take everything in and make rational decisions. Even the best portfolio managers can't. My recommendation, during the cacophony of earnings season, don't make any snap judgments. Wait until you've heard the conference calls before you do anything, any trading. Like the people who bought Facebook up four and then had to see it go down. The people who, bought, who sold Starbucks down four and had to watch it go up. I don't want you to be one of those. Oh, and by the way, keep owning the stock of Apple. Don't trade it even if many people come on air or go to firms and say it's time to ring the register. Jeff in Maryland. Jeff. Boy, uh, Mr. Kramer from the great state of Maryland. It is a fabulous state. We're hoping that we want the best for Kevin Plank and Under Armour. We really do. There you, there you go. Thank you. And good luck with the Eagles and the NFC East. Oh, boy. Um, here's my question. Uh, my wife, my dear wife, is inherited shares of stock from Comcast and Verizon. And I'm in a dilemma because these two companies are under great pressure from competitors. They suffer cable fatigue from its own customers and the changing lifestyles of millennials who don't mm-hmm. go home and watch cable. No, I know. What's your, what's your take on these two stocks going Okay, forward? my Chapel Trust owns Comcast. I work for Comcast, and it's just a powerhouse. It had amazing numbers. It really did. Nobody seems to care. But it did have incredibly profitable, growing cash flow. 
Verizon, I've recommended it since I started the show. I'm not backing away. I think people who want income, it's good. Uh, it's fine. But you're absolutely right. Everything you said is true. The long knives are out for both stocks. All right. It was another busy week of earnings this week. And uh, with the reports will come snap judgments, and you're not going to make them. You, on the other hand, are going to wait for the conference calls before you pull the trigger either way. Oh, and regarding Apple, nothing's changed. Don't trade it. Own it. Man Money Tonight. It's the key to making profits yours in, in this market, and it could help explain the moves in Starbucks and Activision Blizzard stock today. I'll reveal it just ahead. Man, are you mourning Selena Gomez and the weekend's breakup? Yeah, me too. But sometimes splitting up is the best thing to do. I'm eyeing Exalta to see how it's faring after a split from DuPont. And IDTI, our integrated device technology, supplies under-the-hood hardware for the devices we use in our everyday lives. Can the company continue to power up, or is this chip maker in need of a reboot? I got exclusive with the CEO, so stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Sometimes the market just loses its mind. And you know what you got to do? You got to roll the punches. Just look at what happened today with the reaction to the earnings from Activision Blizzard and Starbucks. Activision Blizzard, the world's largest video game company, delivered a beat and raise quarter and told a very compelling story. I loved the conference call. So its stock popped nicely in pre-market trading. I even focused on it for my mad dash at Squawk on the Street. And it, it, that's exactly what you should expect from a company that had better top line and bottom line. Starbucks, on the other hand, disappointed it disappointed on the sales line. It failed to wow on earnings. And then it gave a long-term guide down from the growth path outline a few years ago. And after hours trading last night, the stock got slammed. It was sickening. But when the market opened this morning, Activision Blizzard stock collapsed while Starbucks stock soared. It's the exact opposite of what you would believe, right? How the heck is that even possible? We see it's all about expectations. When Starbucks reported the previous quarter, the numbers were disappointing versus expectations, and it got hammered. Went from 64 to 54 in pretty much a straight line. And that's when we started hearing chatter about how Starbucks' results had so deviated from that earlier long-term plan that management needed to cut its forecast, or reset was the word that people used, reducing its long-term growth from something like 15 to something like 12. As that story percolated throughout the institutions, the stock meandered around the mid-50s. Last night, Starbucks did cut that growth forecast, something that all the large shareholders already took as given because they'd done the homework. But many other investors who hadn't followed the company and read the headlines, and, well, they panicked. They quickly bailed in response to what they saw as shocking news. And the stock initially dropped all the way down to 51 bucks. It was just horrendous. Then this morning, buyers who've been waiting for the guy down, they've been waiting on the sidelines, used the cascade to get in, and the share price quickly rebounded. When we interviewed CEO Kevin Johnson on Squawk on the Street, the stock actually started roaring, all been closing up more than a dollar. And why not? So many institutions were wet, ready for the disappointment. But Starbucks sweetened the pot by giving you a 20% dividend boost and a huge buyback announcement and some tasty morsel about accelerating growth in China. 
At the same time, Johnson presented a pretty rosy view about how they're working out the throughput kinks for mobile pay, which you know I've been concerned about. What about Activision Blizzard and its incredibly upbeat conference call? Right, the market chose not to listen, instead focused on the fact that there's stiff gaming competition for the holidays, something we heard the other day from Electronic Arts. And newsflash, there's always stiff gaming competition for the holidays. You think Bobby Kodak, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, hasn't thought about this? And he's real smart. The stock got no love, even from its terrific news about the expanding esports business, where big-time investors are buying clubs that sell out stadiums as people pay to watch other people play. What's ironic here? is that I think that Activision Blizzard should be bought and bought aggressively, which is something we told the members of the ActionLearsPlus.com club many times today. But you know what? I would not chase the stock of Starbucks here unless we knew for sure that the guidance they gave, the new guidance, wasn't too optimistic. And that's a major concern for me. I'd like to talk to Nate in New York. Nate! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Nate. What's up? How do you think GoPro share prices will be affected in the future? Well, we took a, we got a real hammer. You know, people on Twitter were saying, ah, Jim, you like GoPro. Now, just to know, we liked it at nine. And then the stock, as soon as we said we liked it, the stock shot up big. It's now pulled back to still, but this is no blue apron. It's pulled up above still where we like it, where we recommend it. I think GoPro's good. I thought the conference school was okay. I mean, look, they got issues. They weren't as upbeat as I'd like for the holiday season. That's back to 913. That's where we, we liked it. But I think that it's been de-risked. That's the term I would use. And I think GoPro's fine. Not my fave, but not bad. Okay, this market seems irrational during earnings season. But sometimes there's a method to its madness. You just have to understand it's about expectations. If you know that, you'll have a better understanding of the stock's next move. And if you don't, I'm telling you that you will sell low and buy high. Much more mad money, including my take on a company that's a chip in DuPont's paintwork. Could a company like Exalta continue to paint by numbers? Then... It's a company that's working in some of the hottest areas of tech, from self-driving vehicles, artificial intelligence, that kind of charging that we like called wireless. But can integrated device technology continue to heat up? What a stock this year. I'm going to talk with the CEO. And good news if the dog ate your homework. My dog's named NVIDIA. Just point it out. I did the homework for you and could make you money. Stick with quick. Regular viewers know I am a big fan of breakups. They're a great way for large, complicated companies to unlock value. And the flip side of a breakup is a spinoff. The smaller companies that get split from their larger parents. Spinoffs can create tremendous value for the same reasons. They represent a part of the business that was underappreciated, underfocused on, and therefore undervalued. More important, spinoffs become juicy, bite-sized takeover targets for other companies who may have wanted to buy them for years, but just couldn't reach an agreement with the old parent company. Hey, we saw this happen with Exalta. That's the paint business that was spun off by, by DuPont a couple of years ago. While Exalta's been underperforming of late, that all changed last week when we learned that Oxen Nobel wants to buy the whole company. Sure enough, Exalta's stock shot through the roof. More on that later. Now, look, not every spinoff is a success. I mean, it's just not that easy, right? But if you know what to look for, a good spinoff can often become a big winner. So let's talk about what works in a spinoff, what leads to an Exalta-type situation, and who could be the next Exalta. First, I want to give you some examples. Back at the end of 2013, Inger Solran, IR, spun off its security business as Allegion. 
You know, I always thought that name was just so amorphous, but A-L-L-E worked. Think both mechanical locks and electronic security. This is a classic case of a large, overcomplicated company breaking off a smaller, more focused division so that it could focus on growing the business as an independent company. And that's why I pounded the table hard for you to buy a Legion back in March of 2016. In retrospect, the spin-off's been better for Eager Solran than its old subsidiary. IR's up 47% since that segment. But even after getting hit with a big sell-off last week after reported a disappointing quarter, one well, quarter was bad, Allegiant's still up 29% since I recommended it, slightly outperforming the S&P. I wish I had told you to sell before the latest quarter, though, because a week ago, the thing was up 38%. Next up, we've got a real controversial one. Comores, and that's spelled C-H-E-M-O-U-R-S. It's a commodity chemical business that was spun off by DuPont in July of 2015. This was done by uh, Ms. Coleman. Remember, they were trying to fight off the idea that they weren't bringing out enough value from Trident and Nelson Bell, so they spun this one off. I recommended Comores for speculation in March of 2016, both because it's core titanium dioxide business. That's the stuff that makes, by the way, uh, your toothpaste white. Seemed to be turning around its big commodity business. And because management had gotten aggressive about cost cutting. My only regret is I didn't pound the table even harder. Since then, Comores has vaulted from $7 to $55. That's a 647% gain. Monster. Crushing the performance of the broader market and its old parent company. Then there's Fortiv. Oh, God, I like this one. The industrial business that was spun off by Danaher, which my channel trust owners can follow along at the ActionAlertsPlus.com uh, club. In July of last year, as part of Danaher's efforts to focus on the fast-growing life sciences and diagnostics businesses, they spun this off. Now, I have to admit, I, I got this one totally backwards. Right after the breakup happened, I recommended Danaher. Told you that Fortiv seemed too cyclical, too risky. Bad. Because in July of 2016, that made sense. But with the benefit of hindsight, that was clearly a boneheaded call. Global economy is now accelerating like crazy. You want a Fortif. And no kidding, the stock's up 43% since the segment. Danaher, which had a pro- lots of problems with its dental division, is up just 14% since that period. Fortif was the higher risk, higher reward play. It really paid off, and I should have stuck to my knitting, even as I like Danaher very much right now. In October of last year, Johnson Controls split off its automotive seating businesses, Adient, A-D-I-E-N-T, another one of these amorphous things, you know. Uh, I was enthusiastic about this one because Adient never really got the attention it deserves when it was buried within a much larger, unwieldy conglomerate. I figured the company would be able to take market share, especially in China, reignite its revenue growth. Sure enough, Adient's made you a killing of some 41% since I recommended it in January, crushing both Johnson Controls and the S&P 500 over the same period. And that's after Adient's stock sold off hard yesterday, down 5%, when the company reported what many people thought was a disappointing quarter. Even as the company delivered a 10-cent earnings speed, I didn't see anything wrong with it. This might be the buying opportunity since, uh, for actually, first one since uh, Adient when we talked about it in August. In January, Honeywell spun off Advansix, and this is now A-D-V-A-N-S-I-X, like six. It's a maker of nylon six that's used in all sorts of plastic fibers, filaments, and films. At the time, I told you it was worth buying on a pullback. But this is a very cyclical business, and given the strength of the economy, the stock has caught fire. I wish I'd been more enthusiastic. I liked Honeywell. Advansix has more than doubled since that piece in January. Trouncy Honeywell, which has done really well, up 23%. But, I mean, ah, the prize was Advansix. I didn't want to get behind it because I was worried about the economy. Last October, Air Products spun off its semiconductor-oriented electronic materials business as Versum. And that one I got real right. I pounded the table on this one mid-May as Versum made the specialty gases that are needed to manufacture 
microchips. They give us an unusual way to play the semi-space, which we know is red hot. Since then, Versum's given you a terrific 34% gain, crushing the S&P 500 and beating its parent. Of course, not every spinoff works immediately. Some of them are very successful, which is why I love breakups so much. But some, well, not every spinoff is considered a win. But let's go back to that Exalta. So an unusual transaction. The Carlyle Group, a private equity titan, bought DuPont's performance coatings business in 2012 and then took it public as Exalta Coatings two years later. The deal was initially a big success, but after surging into the middle of 2015, the stock gave up the bulk of its gains. Exalta sales, they started to decline. Sell, 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 the sell, other sell. problem with Carlyle, and they, you know, look, these guys are... What can I say? They buy the company and they got to get liquid. They have to show their investors that they're making money. So they've actively selling the majority stake in the company. That put a lot of pressure on the stock of Exalta. Things turned around for Exalta after the election a year ago, though. But then the stock kind of meandered about. In April, they benefited from the Sherwin-Williams Valspar merger. Valspar had to sell its North American industrial coatings business to seal the deal. And Exalta snapped it up for a song. I mean, that's remember, like when Constellation Brands was able to get Medella and Corona. Uh, because uh, Anheuser-Busch wanted to do a deal. You know, the government makes you spin off things. And that's why I told you to buy the stock back on April 20th. But it didn't do much. In fact, Exalta got slammed ever since it reported a disappointing quarter in August. It looked like a loser, especially when the company reported another sub quarter last week. And I was thinking, uh-oh, man, did I screw up? However, the very next day, we learned that Axo Nobel, the gigantic European chemical company, had approached Exalta about a merger. Stock immediately spiked 22% on the news, only finishing the day up 17%. Which brings me again to the other reason I love spinoffs. They can make very attractive takeover targets. Oftentimes, a big conglomerate will resist selling off one of its divisions to a competitor. But split that division off as a separate company, give its own board of directors and its own shareholders, and suddenly they become a lot more amenable to a takeover. And look, we've seen many examples of this. Baxter spun off its drug division as Boxalta, one that I liked very much. That was acquired by Shire for a nice premium. Valero spun off its chain of gas stations and convenience stores as CST Brands, another one we really liked. It became the subject of a bidding war between the parent of Circle K and the parent of 7-Eleven. I recommended it at 38, gave you a quick 27% gain. So where can you find the next attractive spinoffs? Because what does it do to just talk historically? Now, we know Honeywell. Honeywell wants to split off its car parts business and its home systems business as two separate companies. Call me intrigued. Dow DuPont, which is my Chapel Trust owns, is going to break itself up into three smaller companies. Could be a little bit delayed. That's why people have been selling off the stock. I think it's an opportunity. Ed Breen, ultimate breakup artist. Remember what he did with Tyco. He's at the helm. I'm a huge fan. He's from the town next to me in Philadelphia. And finally, I watch out for a potential spinoff of FMC Corp's lithium division, which has been red hot lately. And you know what lithium goes into? Yes, electric batteries. It's a must play. Here's the bottom line. Spinoffs can be very lucrative, even when they don't seem to be working. You can win anyway, maybe from a takeover if the stock just sits here like we saw in Exalta. We will keep monitoring these stocks for you. That's who we work for. And after considering how well they've done, we're going to profile all of the major ones going forward so you can make up your own mind about whether they're great opportunities. John in Ohio. John. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Um, I've owned Philip Morris for about 30 years uh, prior to the spinoff, and I still own both Philip Morris and Altria. I took some off the table, as you direct, but I would like to know if I should hold, sell, or buy the rest, especially with the forthcoming of ICOS. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult because I don't like to recommend the tobacco companies, but the answer is I like them both. They're prudently run. They've been big money makers, And uh, Philip Morris in particular has come down. I think they're really, really good. So I bless them as stocks as much as I hate them as companies. All right, sometimes breaking up is great to do. 
Look for the next Exalta. Keep a close eye on what Honeywell's up to. Dow DuPont's going to give you some opportunities. And FMC's potential spinoff of its lithium division could be a great opportunity. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of a Red Hot Semi, integrated device technology. The company works with some of the hottest names in tech, and the stock's up over 30% year, re, uh, year to date. Can it keep climbing? Then, a speculative stock that's rocketed over 160% year to date, I'll reveal the name and tell you if it's worth owning when I turn in tonight's homework. And all your calls, rapid fire, and tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Yeah, I just palled you. Yeah, yeah, you did pal me. Pal. All right. Right back at you, buddy. All right, Chief. Sport over here is yes. not really getting it. <laughs> hey, Sparky. <laughs> all right, Hefe. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Semiconductor space is on fire, and that strength extends to nearly every corner of the group. Take integrated device technology. That's IDTI. It's a maker of low-power, high-performance chips for a whole bunch of niche markets. They're the number one player in clock timing. They make switches in wireless base stations, radio frequency chips, memory interface components, and power management products where they also make the chips used for wireless charging for smartphones. Samsung, very big, big client. When IDTI reported on Monday, the company delivered a robust quarter, a one-cent earnings beat off a 34-cent basis, higher than expected revenues, and that's what we care about, up 11% year-over-year. In particular, the company's auto and industrial business growing like crazy. It's up more than 30%. So we got to ask, can this stock keep flying? Let's check in with Greg Waters. He's the president and CEO of Integrated Device Technology. Find out more about his quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Waters, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thank you, Jim. Thanks for having us back. All right, Greg, we're trying to figure it out. You had unbelievable growth in 2014 and 2015. Last year, not so good. This quarter was amazing. So give me uh, where it's coming from. Where's all this business coming from? We just entered the next chapter of growth for the company. Uh, like you said, we grew the company just under 20% in 2014, also 2015. Got some innovative uh, leadership products to market, like that wireless power technology that you've mentioned. Uh, but one of the things we felt is that we wanted to add another leg of growth. And in 2016, we had acquired and invested our way into this automotive uh, segment that you had uh, mentioned. And yes, it, uh, uh, to get that going last year was not a remarkable growth year for us. Now, where we're at right now is that business uh, is on fire. Uh, we're bringing out new devices like all sorts of smart senses for automobiles. We'll introduce uh, devices uh, in early next year that take these complex safety avoidance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, automatic driving, autonomous driving type devices, and reduce that to a set of chips that will fit in the palm of your hand. Uh, you'll see seat belts and other types of things in the future of cars that measure your vital signs as you drive. So we really? think this uh, segment really? has legs. Oh, yeah. I think the imagination for what's going to come to cars and transportation in general uh, is just starting, and we have just entered that as uh, another leg to the growth stool. Well, let's talk about the, this LiDAR technology. We know that's kind of the radar for cars. It is so expensive. Now, you mentioned being able to put it in a smaller, more sophisticated system, but on the conference call, you talk about also that right now you can actually make this stuff dramatically cheaper. It won't make the car too expensive for people to buy. 
Yeah, enter the semiconductor industry. If you look at a lot of the things you see in cars or transportation in general, they're like electromechanical systems, and those are big, they're kind of ugly, and uh, also very expensive. Those things cost uh, just south of $10,000 per copy, so they're never going to make it into the high-volume transportation. Right. We are working on a set of devices that will take, for instance, what's called this LiDAR technology. We think of it as uh, kind of an optical radar and reduce that to a cost point that to an automobile manufacturer will cost between 100 and 200 bucks. And at that cost point, this stuff goes everywhere, not just cars. Think about this in drones. Think about it in tractors, uh, in farm equipment. Think about it in your lawnmower uh, on this. So these, these changes that are coming, this is the type of the stuff that the semiconductor industry is very good at, and we're proud to be at the lead of that. All right, when you, you are the leader in wireless power, uh, wireless charging. How fast one day will we be able to charge our phones? Right now, if you look at uh, one of the innovations, why we have become so uh, prominent in a leadership position in wireless power, we lead the industry in wireless rapid charging. So if you take a look at the, uh, the wireless charging experience, like on the phone I carry, uh, it very much is close to the best-in-class wired rapid charging. So that, that's a real a game changer for our technology in the adoption. And given that the big players now have pretty much all endorsed wireless power recently and for the first time, Jim, this stuff is going everywhere. I mean, you and I talked about this two years ago right. when it was very much at its infancy. You're going to see this in cars. You're going to see this in appliances. You're going to certainly see it uh, in the predominance of the world's smartphones and tablets on this. But you, we just picked up on what we think next calendar year will be the next big leg up for wireless power technology. Now, you actually talk about having sensors for senses, that you're kind of creating yes. what a human being can do with chips. We think sensors is one of the great uh, next growth markets, and we have uh, doubled down, and it is our intention to become a market leader in what we call environmental sensing technology. And that's exactly like what you said. Think about sensors that can duplicate the human five senses, uh, light, touch, feel, position, uh, even gas sensing, uh, sensing what, like what your nose would sense. And we are now delivering all of these new senses. You know, think about uh, a gas sensor in your car that can do a breath test. Think about uh, environmental sensors that can uh, adapt to the quality of light and basically mimic the five senses. But these things are going to go everywhere and, in fact, are. You're going to see these in robots. You're going to see them in smart home appliances. Uh, we introduced or announced a sensor just a couple of weeks ago that can literally see through walls. So if you've got a person uh, in a house and you want to know where they are or right. at least know that a person is in the house, uh, these sensors are, are available now from our company. They will largely fit on, like, your pinky fingernail. Uh, and what's exciting to us, Jim, is that not only gives us uh, more to sell in the, to the right. traditional customers that we have, but this is a whole different ballgame in terms of the customer set and the people that are coming to us and especially look for these things in a lot of good, cool and very innovative biomed and biotech new products. Well, I, I, I got to tell you, Craig, you make it very exciting. I remember when we first talked about wireless charging, you said it was going to happen. I didn't think it could. I've now been seeing it. Your company's a remarkable innovator. Congratulations on everything you've done. That's Craig Waters, president and CEO of Integrated Device Technology, delivering on all the things he said he was going to deliver a couple of years ago. Man, Mike's back after the break. It is time! It's the lightning round is over. 
Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Can we start with Samantha in New York? Samantha. Hi, Jim. I just wanted to say I attended your teach-in last Saturday. Oh, what'd you think? Game changer. You liked it? Oh, my God. Game changer. I'm a millennial. Oh, you're very sweet. We took a lot of time on that one. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. Um, So my question is related to uh, emerging markets. I'm looking at an airline in Brazil right now called Goal Airlines. The stock ticker is GOL. You know, uh, it, it, you know, Samantha, it, it's up 193%. So you know, at the, at the street teaching, I would probably say it's up too much. You have to wait for a pullback on that one. We can't chase that. We know that that's, it's just not disciplined enough. I got to be honest about it. But thank you for the kind comments. Mickey in Illinois. Mickey! Uh, my stock is Park Hotels. Yeah, I looked at Park Hotels and I liked it. I thought it was good. And I, I, you know, I like the yield. And to me, I should be profiling and stuff like that if with a more than 5% yield. Let's go to Ehab in California. Ehab. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my son Michael and I wanted to check on GameStop since it's about 50% off a two-year high. I am concerned about GameStop. I have to tell you, uh, if they're going to sell EA down and they're going to sell uh, uh, they sell uh, Activision Blizzard down, and like those are, it's a very digital, it's going to be a very digital Christmas. And at this holiday season, to me, that means that's bad for GameStop. So I'm going to have to say, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Don't Let's buy. go to Ed, New York. Ed. Booyah. Good evening, Jim Kramer. Well played. How can I help? Uh, Arena Pharmaceutical, AU. Yeah, we, we just did that. We thought it was kind of it's good. It's immunosuppressive. We kind of like it. We like it. But remember, really risky and long term. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. B-U-R-L. I'm a buyer of Ollie's, not a seller. Oh, it could be like a tambourine. Kramer. Hey, Carson Wentz for president. Hey, I want to know I have his jersey. I couldn't be better. Excellent. And you're going to make me even better than that. Really? I sold Yoo-Hoo there when I was younger. Yeah, Yoo-Hoo. Like, hey, hey, Yoo-Hoo. Anybody want you? Anyway. How the stock market works. Of course. That's so valuable. Thank you so much. And that's what my question is tonight. I think because of the huge spread as opposed to broken company. I think most of the broken stocks are going to be in retail, and I don't trust them because of Amazon. Second level of broken stocks will be companies that are in restaurants. I get asked a question I can't immediately answer. You know what I do? I spend first hours castigating myself for being an idiot before downing some cheap scotch and then passing out on my own dirty linoleum floor right here in the set. Then I feel really sullen and gloomy, and I recognize that I have no self-worth. And then after I come to, I do the homework, and I circle back to you, and I give you the reason response that you deserve. After all, I mean, this is the most interactive show on TV ever. Does anyone ever talk to anybody else other than, like, on QVC? 
Do they talk to people now? I don't know. I don't, I don't get to see it as much as I'd like. With the possible exception of that poor guy, you know, the poor guy on C-SPAN who has to sit there and keep a straight face while people call him with their bizarre political opinions. I mean, thankfully, this is a show about stocks. I'm allowed to stick an apple in my head, for heaven's sake, and mug for the cameras. Hey, people, you know what? Of all the things I've ever done on this show, the people were most fascinated at the apple balance last night. I mean, I might, you know, I mean, get me a bow and arrow. We'll put it one right through this. With that in mind, let's catch up with some homework. October 6th, Tom in Arizona wanted to know my opinion on Mankind. That's that tiny drug company that trades under the symbol MNKD. Not Mankind as in the human race or to serve man, which is an excellent cookbook. I've got to tell you, I'm very disappointed in the stock of Mankind. Here's a company that spent years developing an insulin inhaler for people with diabetes. We were always we were always skeptical. When the show first went on the air in 2005, I got questions about these guys constantly. But it took until 2014 for their inhaler, Afreza, to finally get FDA approval. Normally, when a speculative drug or a biotech stock finally gets approval for the big therapy they spent more than a decade developing, it's good news, like Regeneron, okay? But this company just couldn't live up to the hype. Once again, mankind's reach exceeded its grasp. What went wrong? First of all, the sales have been very weak, very weak. In the company's latest quarter, Fresno generated just $1.5 million in sales. That was a 29% increase year over year. Doctors don't like to take chances with diabetes patients, so they've been sticking with the old tried-and-true prescribing patterns for insulin. You know, I mean, they don't want to. Ain't broke, don't fix, okay? Make matters worse, late last year, Sanofi terminated their partnership with Mankind. I mean, that was devastating. It meant that Mankind had to start providing their own sales force to sell the inhaler. And look, this company isn't exactly flush. It's got more than $40 million in cash on the balance sheet, but has $115 million in long-term debt and $59 million in short-term debt. I don't regard that as encouraging at all. But hey, nobody ever went broke underestimating Mankind's intelligence. The disappointing of Fresnick sales, I, I hardly ever get to use this. The disappointing of Fresnick sales have absolutely crushed the stock. There we go. In the middle of 2014, around the time of Fresnick got approved by the FDA, do you know that this stock was trading in the mid-50s? Sell, 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 sell. Now it's a $3 stock. Although, to be fair, it bounced back from a dollar and changed over the summer. But you had to be really brave to pick at this point at the bottom. I mean, maybe it goes back to dollar, you can do it again. What might the future look for the stock of mankind? The company only has one major pipeline candidate, and that's this version of Afreza for pediatric diabetes patients. And while they're working on a bunch of other things, compounds for uh, anaphylaxis, pulmonary, arterial hypertension, chemotherapy-induced nausea, they're in what we call preclinical development, which means we really don't know if they'll amount to anything. And even if they're successful one day, it'll take many years and a lot of money before they ever hit the market. My view, based on past experience, I worry that mankind will let you down. As a matter of fact, they always seem to find a way to let you down. So my suggestion is, even though I know that's going to blast me in Twitter, but I could care less, right? I mean, I got these great pictures my daughter's putting up at the West. I say you stay away from this one. Next up on October 20th, KD. Cool. In Texas, wanted to know about Fibrogen, F-G-E-N. And I'd said I'd come back after doing some more research. So a lot of these biotechs just elude me because they've just gone tripled in size and I didn't follow them before. This one's a biopharma company that works on treatments for anemia, fibrotic disease, and cancer. Right now, the company has three key therapies in the pipeline. First, they're working on a first-in-class small molecule drug that's being studied in multiple phase three clinical trials as a treatment for anemia in patients with various conditions like chronic kidney disease and MDS. 
Second, Fibrogen's developed a human antibody based uh, drug that's currently in phase two trials for pancreatic cancer, very hard to solve cancer, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Finally, they're working on a biosynthetic cornea that will help some cure, cure some types of blindness. It's still in preclinical development. It means very, very early. And Fibrogen has some big catalysts coming. For example, we're getting some important data on its anemia drug next year. And based on the phase two data that this thing is uh, issued so far, it looks very effective, maybe very safe. Plus, the addressable market here is huge. Anemia, where you have low levels of red blood cells, affects something like 1.6 billion people worldwide. And the current standard of care isn't all that effective. Amgen has some intravenous uh, uh, anemia drugs. But Fibrogen's drug is a pill. It doesn't require IV iron supplements, and it looks like I think it's going to have far fewer side effects. I think this could be a very big deal once it gets regulatory approval. So where do I come down? All right, well, look, it, it sounds fabulous, right? But let me give you the reservation. The stock has rallied 161% year-to-date, so I am not early to the story, and I hate the chase. So as much as I like the story, I recommend you wait for a pullback before pulling the trigger. But Fibrogen... Definitely best in show. Ah, I could see a younger person buying some and then maybe buying some more. I say stick with Kramer. With a heavy heart, I'm letting you know that we've lost a member of the Mad Money family, whether it be in the badlands of North Dakota, an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico, or a Dreamforce in San Francisco. Jeff Corliu was a warrior for us, always with a Diet Coke in hand. Our thoughts are with his family and his beloved daughters. He was our friend. He will be missed. We had a good week. What can I say? A lot of it was Apple. I want you to do one thing with Apple. I want you to own it. I don't want you to trade it. If you haven't bought it yet, wait for it to come down. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.